The past few years have brought so much sickness and death, disasters, destruction. You just turn on the news at any time and you will see a whole litany of bad news. We just can't escape that. Uh, we see now violence is rising and war is raging and this prosperous economy that we used to enjoy seems like it's retreating. And if it weren't, we weren't great people of faith, it would be easy to come to the conclusion that God is starting to retreat as well. But we know that's not true. Amen? We know that's not true. Yet it seems like evil is having its reign in our world. And so we're continuing on in this series called I Believe. And we're looking at different reasons behind our faith. And we spent time uh, this month already, uh, these past few weeks, asking the questions, is God real? Uh, is the Bible true? Is Jesus really God? And today we're getting into uh, one of the questions, one of the reasons that people are not believing in God and why people are not following Christ because they're asking the question, is God good? The late apologist and author Ronald Nash wrote this, every philosopher be, believes that the most serious challenge to theism, which is belief in God, was and is and will continue to be the problem of evil. The author Randy Alcorn once uh, asked his readers if they could ask God one question and they knew without a shadow of a doubt that God would give them an honest, transparent answer, what would it be? And overwhelmingly, the question that people wanted to ask God was this, why do you allow suffering and evil? It's a valid question, isn't it, church? Uh, the silence from the church, the silence from most of us to give a good answer has turned away millions away from Christ and the church. The world is asking, how in the world do we take a God seriously when there is so much suffering in the world? And why should we believe in a good God when children suffer and die seemingly without any reason? These are very valid questions, aren't they? Last week, I had the privilege of sitting uh, through a police chaplaincy training. And through the entire week, we learned about crisis counseling and line of duty deaths for police officers and police suicide, uh, taking the lives of our officers at an alarming rate. The 18th century Scottish philosopher, David Hume, wrote this, uh, is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is impotent. If he is able, but not willing, then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then why is there evil? It's a great question. It's a great question, but it also assumes that a good God cannot exist in the face of evil. In other words, what this argument says is that if that if God is truly is good, then evil should not exist. And I hope and pray that in about 15 minutes from now that you will have an answer to that question. Because that is what our world is asking. And the Bible tells us that we need to have an answer for the faith that we hold on to. 
There is not one person in this room, there's not one person that is watching online right now that has not faced evil or has not faced some sort of suffering or unfairness in your life. And the Bible contains dozens and dozens of stories of God's people facing evil and enduring suffering and living through grief. In a couple places, God's people even went to him and asked, when are you going to restore things back to order? And maybe you have asked that exact same question of God. I know that I have as well. Whether or not you grew up in the church, you probably have heard the creation story. We're going to start all the way back in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created everything that has ever existed and it was good. And the Bible says that it was perfection. It was beauty. It was magnificence. And he created created mankind. He created the first human and he named him Adam. And then I believe God looked at Adam and he said, yeah, I could probably do better than that. I'll make a woman. That's not what God said. But anyway, so God created a man and a woman and they lasted, we don't know the time frame, but they lasted about good 10 minutes before they missed everything up. Right? They disobeyed God. They ate from the one tree that he told them not to touch and go near. God created them perfectly in his image. And by doing that, he also gave them free will. Because creating something without free will would be like creating a puppet. And it certainly wouldn't be something in the image of God. And so the creation story tells us that through one man, sin entered entered into the world. And it's because of sin that we have suffering and pain existing today. That's a super short version of the fall of mankind. We don't have time to go into all of it this morning. And while God is ultimately in control of everything, the pain and the suffering that each of us faces in life is a result of the sinful choices that have been made, both by us and over time. See, not all of your suffering is because of your personal sin, but all suffering has entered into the world because of sin. But there is some good news for us. Even though it was sin that has caused all the suffering and pain that we know in the world, God has intervened into this story. And so that this doesn't have to be our permanent state. See, sin entered into the world because of one man, but the Bible also tells us that because of one man, all sin can be atoned for. The curse is upon each of us because we have been born as a sinful creature, but we don't believe that we are destined to live under that curse forever. See, because of Jesus, the power and the pull of sin don't have to control your life. Yet, even if we were to be completely free from that pull of sin, we still live in a very broken world that bears the effects of sinful choices. And so suffering and evil still abound. 
So let me mention this before we get into answering this question of whether God is, is good or not. Even though in this world we will face suffering, it can be used for the good of God. For those who enter into a relationship with the Lord, he promises us that we can experience the ultimate good, including pain and suffering. Romans 8.28 says uh, this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, the things we suffer here can help transform us uh, to have more of the character of God, have more of the character of Christ so that we can experience hope. But as a pastor, I'm asked this all the time. How can a good God allow so much evil? Why would he allow that to happen? See, we assume that if God is good, then he should be eliminating all evil. That if God is truly a good God, then nothing bad should ever happen to any of his children. But we're looking at this through the wrong perspective. We're looking at this dilemma from a human perspective, not a godly one. I don't think you and I could handle knowing everything that God knows. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to understand everything that God knows? I, I, th I think my human brain would just explode if I had to put all of that and make sense out of all of it. So I offer some counter questions. Why must we assume that every case of, of evil is one that God could eliminate without at the same time eliminating a greater good? Or what if in order to stop evil, God had to violate some sort of human will that he has given us? Would violating our human will make him a good God or a bad God? Or what if stopping an evil act today would set into motion some sort of butterfly effect so that at some point, some great artist or some great scientist wouldn't be born in the future? In other words, if God is still good, if he allows evil to if God, is God still good if he allows evil to retain our free will in the universe? Or if it allows for a greater good in the future? I want you to think about this for a second. Does the existence of evil point us towards a good and just God? Because this is the argument that I hear. People want to say that just because evil exists, because of the existence of evil, it proves that there is no God. Or if there is a God, certainly he couldn't be good. But let's ask this. How do you know what's evil? All of us know the answer to that question, don't we? We have an idea of what is evil when we see injustice in our world, when we see something uh, wrong, we know it's wrong. When you face life's unfairness, you know it immediately. 
you know when something isn't right. But let me ask you the question, how do you know? How do you know that it's evil? How do you know that it's not right? See, we have this assumption in the way that the universe is supposed to be. It's because the Bible tells us that God has put eternity in man's heart. We are originally designed by our creator to live in a world without sin and death. And it's why we long so much for what is beauty and justice and love and peace. See, you and I have been made for a different world than the one we're living in. And the feeling of the, the, uh, this disorder is one of nostalgia. We want things to be made right. It's in our core. It's how God has designed us. See, we would not have the moral categories of what is good versus what is evil unless a good God has placed those inside of us. So let's take this a little bit further. Some of the arguments that I have heard, some of the skeptics would say, well, pastor, we have these moral categories because that is what evolution has uh, designed us for. Evolution has designed us to recognize evil. And they would say, well, we survive longer if we eliminate that which we call evil and we cling to that which we call good. And so that skeptic would say, it wasn't God at all. It's just how we evolved. It's just how nature has made us. The skeptic would say that good and evil are just relics of what our ancestors had to uh, go through or what our ancestors were forced to believe in order for their own survival. It's a good argument. Uh, I got to give it a little bit of thought and, and pause. Perhaps it is nature that leads us to make some moralistic decisions in our life so that the greater good of society uh, can exist or maybe even just for ourselves. Is it, and it's a, evolutionary concept, you have heard this, that the survival of the fittest, right? We see this. In fact, I saw this on my way into church this morning. A mother bird has pushed a weak chick out of the nest, essentially killing it because maybe there wasn't enough food for the others. And she wanted to make sure that those that were left in the nest had enough food in order for their survival. In 1997, there was a 18 year old girl. It was during her prom and she went to the bathroom and gave birth to a baby. She had hid the pregnancy. She cut the umbilical cord. She killed the baby placed the baby in a trash can and then went back out to the dance floor and pretended like nothing happened. And most of the world was outraged. Let me ask you, how in the world could this sort of evil exist? Well, the world came to the rescue 
And the world came with this uh, seemingly quick answer that explained it all for all of us to, to follow. And this evolutionary theorist named Steven Pinker wrote an article for the New York Times and he titled it, Why We Kill Our Newborns. And in this article, he explained that what we must understand is that we are all descendants of women who had to make difficult decisions in their life, which allowed them to eventually become a grandmother in a very unforgiving world. He said, we have just inherited a brain circuitry that led her to make that decision that day. Basically what he's saying is there is nothing that she could have really done about it. She inherited a design where she is protecting herself in order to secure her own survival and her own happiness. And he went on to say that natural selection leads us to a decision where if a newborn is sickly or if its survival is in question or not promising or it even threatens the emotional good of the parents, then the best thing to do is just to cut our losses in favor of the healthiest. Here's the fallacy in that argument. Let me ask you, did that story horrify you to think that a young girl would kill her newborn baby and then act as if nothing happened? Of course it did. Would you call that evil? Of course you would. And so did almost every other person that heard that story. See, if nature has evolved us to the point that we understand killing a child for the emotional good of a parent, then none of us should be outraged by this story. We should all just understand what this mom went through. Yet almost nobody does. See, we have come to this moral construct that is contrary to the survival of the fittest. For the most part, humans are doing the exact opposite, the exact opposite. We take care of the less fortunate. The fact that almost every person that hears this story would label it as evil or at least awful tells us that we have an ethic that has been placed inside of us that is contrary to nature because we even recognize certain things as evil. And that means that we have the ability to contrast evil and good. Evolution can't do that. Evolution would have pushed us away from the ability to see evil. If we all acted with a survival of the fittest moral code, then acts of violence or acts of injustice would never upset us. We would just understand it. We'd have no need for laws. We'd have no need for rules. We'd have no need for governments because we would just all understand that evil is a necessary part of existence. And I would conclude that our sense of goodness has actually come from a very good God who gave us the ability to recognize that evil and then turn away from it. So we all know that evil exists in this 
same world that a very good God exists. And if it does, then maybe we need to ask the question, then why do we have all this suffering? How do we make sense of it? Does suffering have a purpose in this world? I'll make the argument that suffering frequently leads to some sort of measure of good. And many will attest that some of our life's greatest lessons we learned came through a moment of suffering in our life. And testimony after testimony of your own experiences or those of others prove to us that because of the things that we have struggled with in life, we have emerged on the other side stronger. I know of marriages that are stronger today because they went through a period of difficulty. I know of people that are more resilient, more courageous, uh, braver because they had faced an adversity in their life. When I was eight years old, uh, my friends and I were playing in the yard and we, as kids were doing, we were being careless and pretty stupid. And uh, we took a hammock and we would wrap it around ourselves and then our friends would spin it around in a circle like we were playing jump rope or something with that uh, hammock. And it was a lot of fun until the hammock came open and I was launched like I was shot out of a catapult. I caught myself with my wrist and it snapped. Now my arm healed and my body actually did what God has designed it to do. And it sent new threads of bone to heal up that break. And I remember at eight years old, my doctor telling me something that didn't make sense then, it does now. He said, your repaired bone is now actually stronger than the original. See, in the face of adversity, my body became stronger. In fact, I believe that this would be a fair statement to make that anything that truly has enhanced or enlightened your existence has been through some sort of affliction and not because of happiness. Remember Romans 8:28 says, and we now know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him for those who have been called according to his purpose. Now notice what this doesn't say. It doesn't say the good things. It says all things. So the assumption that there is never a good reason for evil and suffering can't be supported by philosophy or science or even our life experience. And this is consistent with what God has shown us in his word through the Bible. We see this all the time when God is taking people and refining them through their suffering to make them greater. Moses, Abraham, David, Job, Paul, and Jesus himself are examples in which the most awful evil and suffering is turned into a greater good. In the case of Jesus, his death and suffering led to the greatest good mankind has ever experienced, the salvation of humankind itself. 
Consider this story back in the Old Testament, back in the book of Genesis, the example of Joseph. And Joseph is one of the youngest of the, his brothers and all of his other brothers uh, hated him. They didn't like him. They, in fact, they faked his death and they sold him into slavery. And it's because he was enslaved that he went to Egypt. In Egypt, Joseph worked his way to become this powerful man in the government. And later, later at the end of the story, his brothers had to come back to Egypt looking for food. And because he was high up in government, he was able to take care of them and the rest of his family. And Joseph teaches us one of the Bible's more, most important truths about suffering. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. See, I think we understand that concept, right? That God would use evil for a greater good, but I don't think we like it. So why? The reason we struggle with this concept of purposely suffering today in, this, in the Western world, the reason why we struggle with this is because we see the point and the purpose of our life is supposed to be happiness. See, we think the existence of personal happiness is the proof of a good God but that's never been the conclusion. Paul writes this in Romans chapter five. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Peter, another follower of Jesus, tells that we can rejoice in our sufferings. He says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. See, I believe that only a good God can take the suffering of mankind's sins that we have caused and use it for good. Only a good God could ever do that. Not chance, not evolution, not the power of any human, but only a God that is fundamentally good can take our bad choices and make good out of it. So I want you to hear, we talked about the beginning of the story. Let's talk about the end of the story. Revelation Chapter 21 says, and then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming out of the heaven of God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard the, a loud voice from the th throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Pay attention here. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. No death, no more pain, 
no more suffering. Why do we long for heaven so much? Because we know this is not the world we have been created for. We've been created for so much more. How would we even see a world of no more pain or suffering or death as good unless we've experienced pain and suffering and death? See, I'm not fearful. We started today by talking about our finances here at PFN. I'm not afraid because I think God is too good. I think he's too good. And whether he's taking us through this, uh, uh, this period for a purpose, I don't know. I'm not sure. I just know that God's in control and I just need to respond to him. I don't know what's going on in your life and all the evil and the sufferings that you have been faced in your life. I know there's probably a lot of unanswered questions. And maybe you've even thought to yourself, how in the world could God be so good if I'm going through all of this? May you find just a little bit of peace by realizing that God knows so much more than us. And he can take even what you're going through and use it for the greater good. So let's bow our heads in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that in all things, in all things, you can bring about good. So Lord, uh, some of us in this room are facing things right now that we had no control of. Maybe things that we're going through in our life that we didn't even cause. It's just happened to us. And maybe faith of some of our people here or those that are watching online is being rocked right now. Our faith is being destroyed as we're crying out to you and saying, why in the world would you allow such evil and suffering? Lord, I thank you that I have, a, I have a mind that doesn't get it all, that doesn't understand everything that's happening. But Lord, you have created in all of us the desire for a greater good. And even Lord, if the suffering that we are going through in this moment could bring on a greater good for somebody else, then do it. Then use us. Do what you need to do. Lord, I'm not saying that you have even created any of the suffering. We, re we realize, Lord, that suffering on this earth is, is a result of sinful choices and people that aren't following you. But Lord, only a good God could use that for the advancement of your kingdom on earth. And Lord, we thank you that we are able to recognize where we are supposed to go, a land of no more suffering and pain or death. And we long for that, Lord, because we have seen suffering and pain and death. And so, Lord, we can get a glimpse of how great eternity can be if we are followers of your Son. This morning, Lord, maybe there's someone here today that just hasn't turned their life over to you yet. 
maybe something that your Holy Spirit has said to them today just started to make sense. And so maybe today would be a day where they would come to that moment of faith where they would say, Lord, I want to give you my life. See, we don't have to understand it all. That's what faith is. And so, Lord, maybe that person today would just like to come to you and tell you, Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe you are who you say you are. And I don't get it all yet, but it doesn't matter. I want you to come into my life. I need, Lord, for all the suffering in my life to make some sort of sense. And Lord, I need that verse in my life. Everything, all things can be worked together for good because I am called according to your purpose. And so Lord, I celebrate in heaven if anybody has made that decision this morning to follow you, to give their lives over to you. Lord, make sense of the suffering for them. Use it for the greater good. Use it for your kingdom and your design, even if it wasn't of your making. Lord Jesus, we trust you. We trust that you are a good God, good God. We thank you, Lord, for creating us in your image. Lord, we pray again, blessings upon the uh, Heberer family. We ask, Lord, that you would be very close to them as maybe they have wrestled with this exact same question. But Lord, we know that the greater good, the greater good is being accomplished. We thank you for the life of Jean. We thank you, Lord, for her testimony. We thank you, Lord, for your peace and your comfort upon that family. And we pray, Lord, for that blessing to be upon this entire congregation and all those that are watching at home as well. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a good God. And all of your church said together, amen. I love you guys. Have an incredible, incredible remainder of your weekend. You're dismissed.